This morning we'll be reading from the Acts of the Apostles, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I rarely have happy dreams. Just saying. The dreams I remember are mostly like scary or weird. They're almost never happy. Now, I've had happy dreams in the past, um, mostly when I was younger. You, you remember some of those probably yourself, right? You had a dream that it was Christmas Day and you woke up and it actually was. I mean, now that's a happy dream come true. I actually remember uh, dreaming that I was married to a beautiful woman and I woke up and she was laying next to me. That was after I got married. That was a happy dream. <laughs> a happy dream that came true. Can you imagine this man that you just heard about who was healed by Peter and John? Can you imagine the night after this that he went to sleep? And maybe, hmm, maybe not, but maybe he dreamed. And he dreamed about being able to walk and to run and to jump. Oh, I bet you he dreamed that before. I mean, before he was healed. Surely, being lame for 40 years, he must have had dreams in the middle of the night where he could run with the fastest of runners. And he would wake up and he couldn't get out of bed by himself. But this time, perhaps this time he dreamed. And when he woke up, it was true. He could walk. That was an incredible day for a man who thought he would never walk, who went to the temple day after day, just as usual, begging for money to stay alive. And then on that occasion, out of nowhere, everything changed. Two men looked at him and said to him, look at us. Look at us directly. Of course he did. And then Peter, the one who spoke the most with John beside him, said, I'll tell you what, my friend, we don't have any money. We have no silver, we got no gold, but what we have we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter took his right hand and he reached down and he grabbed that individual and he pulled him up onto his feet. Now there had been other times, you see, where individuals had used their right hand to grab him and pull him up. But always before... They pulled him up to assist him to a location that he couldn't go himself. And this time, 
Peter says, rise up. Just imagine it, will you, for a moment? He raises up and his feet and ankle bones, as Luke, the doctor says, became strengthened. And I would imagine, just guessing, that for a moment he froze. And he said, when I let go, will it work? Is this a dream? Peter let go of his hand and he stood. And then I imagine he decided he'd try a step or two and he began to walk. And then overwhelmed with excitement, he began to run and then he began to leap and then he began to shout and he's outside the temple like right out there in the gathering space and he runs into the temple and starts shouting and running around just like it was right here. He can't control himself. It's a dream come true. It's a miracle. Some people don't believe in them. But they're true. And this is an example. But what's really going on in this story? Well, you might say, it's a miracle. It's an act of benevolence on behalf of this man who could not walk from Peter and John. They knew that God could heal him, and so they said, be healed. That's true. As far as it goes. But there's something else going on here. Earlier in chapter 2, 243 to be exact, the physician Luke, writing the book of Acts, says, when the believers got together, they prayed continuously, they ate together, fellowship broke bread, studied the scriptures, listened to the teachings of the apostles, and many signs and miraculous events. Signs and wonders were among them. So Luke is basically giving us just one of those stories. There are many others. We don't even have all those stories. So what's going on here? It's an example of what went on for a long time in the lives of the apostles. There's something else going on here. The apostles are just imitating Jesus. They've been with him for three years and day after day he's performed miracles like this. They've seen his power and he told them on one occasion, I want to tell you something. You think this is amazing? You're going to do even greater things than this. At the time they must have thought, I have no idea what he's talking about. That's not possible. And then they found out. Because day after day, just like in the temple courts, signs and wonders were all around them. They just imitated Jesus. If you take a look at the miracles that the apostles were involved in, they're in some measure almost like duplicate miracles of Jesus. And the way they do them, it's similar to the way Jesus did them. So they were imitating Jesus. But one more thing that's going on here. It's the same thing that went on with Jesus. When Jesus came, he announced the kingdom of God and it was accompanied his announcement was accompanied by signs and wonders. He said, the kingdom of God is among you and signs and wonders began to happen in his presence. The disciples post-Pentecost are now saying, the kingdom of God is among us and signs and wonders accompanied their presence. In other words, 
among other things, and perhaps chief among those other things, the miracles are a sign and a wonder announcing the presence, the kingdom, the mission of God on earth. And the disciples are just sharing that. It might be helpful to remember Jesus just for a moment and his miracles. Remember Jesus' miracles? For instance, Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 14, two stories about water on a sea, calming the storm. And Jesus, on one occasion, walking on the water. What's going on in that miracle? You say to yourself, well, I've heard that before. What's going on in that miracle is that Jesus is pronouncing himself to be the Lord of the land and the sea. And he can do anything in God's creation because all creation was made by him. True, as far as it goes. But there's something else going on. Basically, Jesus is saying in this miracle, storms like this, water coming out of the sky, rain is supposed to be a resource for people. It's supposed to water the land. It's supposed to give life to plants and life to people. And the sea is supposed to be filled with fish. And the economy that people live on is not supposed to be destroyed in the midst of a storm where people are on ships and their ship comes apart, where people drown and others are destroyed by it. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And for a moment, my friends, I'm going to roll back the natural order and show you the way it's supposed to be. Storm, be still. Do what you're supposed to do. Bring life. On another occasion, we know that Jesus healed blind people and lame people like this story. And he walked up and just said, it's time for you to see. And people who never saw their entire life began to see. What's going on there? Well, First thing you think of, legitimately so, is a spiritual application to a miraculous event. And you say Jesus is telling us that he brings sight to the blind, the spiritually blind. He rolls back the veil and allows you to see the reality of God all around you. Yes, 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 but Jesus is always also saying people were not supposed to be born blind. When I created my natural order, when I put paradise on earth, people could see all of them. This is not right. And for a moment, I'm going to pull back the curtain of eternity and show you the way things ought to be. This man will see. And when Jesus encountered people with leprosy and healed them, he said exactly the same thing. He said, leprosy is not supposed to be here. Your skin is supposed to heal itself. Your nerves ending are there to protect you and to alert you to a harm to your body. I'm going to fix that problem. Leprosy be gone. And when Jesus encountered people with fever, he said, it's not the way it's supposed to be. An infection is not supposed to be in the body. Infection be gone. And on a couple of occasions, Jesus encountered people mourning. The widow of Nain, you remember that one? The widow of Nain, only one son. And Jesus walks upon a funeral procession, not a sterile hearse like we see nowadays, but a funeral procession with the body of her young son bouncing along on a wooden or mat casket above their shoulders. And Jesus walks up to the widow and says, don't worry, your sons are going to live. And he raises him up. 
And Jesus encounters his friends, Martha and Mary, who are mourning the loss of Nazareth. And he says to them, don't worry, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he goes to the tomb and he says, open it up. And they say, are you crazy, Jesus? He's been in there three days. He stinks. He said, open it up. Then he said, Lazarus, come out. You don't belong in the grave. People shouldn't die. That's not the way I started this story. You know what's common to all those miracles? They're all life-giving. None of them are used for vengeance. None of them are used for self-promotion in the life of the disciples. You see it all the time in the name of Jesus. Because of the grace of Jesus, it has nothing to do with me, Peter said later on. Why are you even looking at me that way like I could do it? This is the work of Jesus. They're always about life. And they're never about self-gratification. And there's something else that's common to all of them. They're all a restoration of the way things ought to be. They're paradise restored. Those are the kinds of things the disciples experienced as they walked with Jesus after his resurrection and after his ascension. What is the natural order of things? I know I don't need to tell you, but let me remind you. The natural order of things is chaos. The natural order of things is a world out of control. The natural order of things is terrorism and wars and rumors of wars. The natural order of things is selfishness. The natural order of things is anger and jealousy and rage and murder. The natural order of things is all around us. It's decay. It's death. That's the natural order of things. People die and it's final. This week I was a part of two funerals. Nothing brings home the natural order of things more than that. What's God's order of things? All that in reverse. If I was an artist, I would paint a mural right here in front of you. of The natural order of things. of Chaos and jealousy. And murder and death. And then I'd say what's God's order of things. And I'd swing the mural around. And I'd face the cross. And I'd say because of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the natural order of things. This is what God is going to do. On the other side of that terrible mural, this is peace. This is order. This is life. This is paradise restored. That is what Jesus came to do. That is what Jesus brings to us. That is the kingdom of God. And it is our mission to share that kingdom with everyone. Now you stand here with me and you say, I love that story. But we're still in the natural order of things. Yes, you're right, we are. But on occasion, on occasion, God flips the mural. On occasion, he pulls back the curtain and lets us see eternity. And that's what we call miracles. They're in God's order and then they're in God's time, but they're real. And I wish I saw more of them.
Don't you? I wish right now I had the same kind of power and authority for whatever reason at a place and at a time that Peter and John seem to have. I know what I'd do. I know the first thing I would do. I would book a flight to Washington, D.C. tomorrow. Not to talk to politicians, but to see my brother. And I'd walk into the house of my youngest brother and I would say to him, where's Eva, my niece? Who was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes and probably won't live as long as some people. And I would call her and I'd say, Eva, come here to me. And I'd place my hands on her and I would say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. It's possible, I suppose. But for whatever reason, God doesn't always do it. I know my brother's done that. Why? Because the natural order of things still exists. But, my friends, there are two things to remember. Parallel to the natural order of things. Right here, right now, is the kingdom of God. Right here, right now, there's a parallel universe called peace. There's a parallel universe called forgiveness and love and mercy. There's a parallel universe that's the opposite of discord. There's a parallel universe of healing. And sometimes God just reminds us of that parallel universe, which is eventually going to come to completion and be forever. Man, is that good news. Yeah, I wish it was all together here right now, but it's not. Yes, I wish I could heal everyone with my touch, but I cannot. But the reality is, it's here. It's already and not yet. And I have the wonderful opportunity, just like you if you're a follower of Christ, to allow that kingdom to come to light. Right here and right now. That it will someday completely change and all be new. Because of Jesus Christ. I love that message. I couldn't preach without it. No matter what I do, every Sunday morning, that's what inspires my message. How do we experience uh, the kingdom of God? And live in the mission that God has called us to? Well, I think like the disciples, we live in the Spirit. I want you to consider something, just for a moment, the way the disciples live with Jesus. They live with Him by walking with Him. They live with Him by seeing everything He did. They live with Him with a divine expectation that just around the corner, Jesus was going to do something phenomenal, and they were going to see the kingdom of God once again. And then he died and rose from the dead and then he ascended to the Father and then they went to Pentecost and on the other side of the Pentecost experience, what did they do? The same thing. 
now empowered by the life of the Spirit. They walked with Jesus in such a way that they anticipated that He was going to come and make everything new. And along the way, every once in a while, He was going to give a blessing that was beyond comprehension. He was going to roll back the curtain just momentarily. Let them and others see eternity. And they waited in anticipation for the full completion of the kingdom of God. That's how they lived. And I think maybe that's why God showed up so much. I mean in a miraculous way. They were what the scripture call the earliest designation. Not Christians, but people of the way. Don't you like the difference? Christians, a noun. People of the way, active verb. They lived that way every day and expected the presence of God. How do you live that way? Well, first, you you live that way by believing it. Second, you live that way by reminding yourself of that reality continuously. The question is, do we really live in the Spirit that way? Really, think about yesterday. Do a quick rewind of the tape. Did every part of your day include anticipation of the Spirit of God within you, around you, and in the world? Did every thought that you had concerning the reality that was yours, the task that you were given, was bathed in prayer? Was everything about your day spirit-led, spirit-filled completely? I would imagine if you're like me, the answer is no. The day was about me, the day was about you, and God was an add-on. And if you had a really good day, you might have had a quiet time at the beginning of the day, right? I'm not suggesting that the disciples in this era were perfect. But I would like to remind you of what you just heard in the reading. They were headed to the temple for the third time that day to pray. You know what that is? It's a rhythm or a pattern of life. It's living in the Spirit. It's living in prayer is living with the anticipation that God is here and God will reveal Himself. It's living in the anticipation that God could show up at any moment and make all things new. And it's an anticipation that routinely is not ours, right? Right. How many of you have uh, set aside in your day as part of your rhythm of life to pray three times a day? I would imagine very few. I've tried and failed over and again. I wanted to be a rhythm of my life. And there's no reason it can't be. There's no reason it can't be. I don't care how busy I am or you are. There are moments in the day that you can stop and realign yourself in your mind and in your heart with the living God who is in your presence all the time and in the world all the time and has a parallel universe for you to step into. 
And I don't do it often enough. But on the occasions when I'm successful, just something changes. No, everything changes. It's called living in the Spirit. How do we join this mission of God, this kingdom of God in the world? We live in the Spirit, but we also live by faith. I mean, part of faith is is that you need it for miracles. I mean, that sounds like a this and that. If you do this, you get that. And it's crudely and crassly misused. But the reality is, every time miracles are mentioned in the Scripture, they're always associated with faith. Faith is just inseparably linked with miracles. On one occasion, Jesus said He couldn't do a bunch of miracles because people just didn't have the faith for it. On another occasion, he said to someone, be it to you as it is by your faith. If you have faith, there it is. Now again, the reality is we can have faith and not see the results that we want. But we will never see miracles among us without faith. So what does the kingdom of God and His real presence mean as we join the mission of God? It means living in the Spirit. It means living by faith. It also means living in obedience. And here's the hard part. Living obediently when it seems like God is completely absent. That's deep faith. Living obediently as I try to live. When I cry out for God to heal my niece and he does not. Continuing to live by faith. When like Paul, for whatever reason, he begs God to take away this thorn in the flesh and God does not. And Paul continues to live obediently by faith. That's a requirement for the real presence of the kingdom of God. In our lives. Another way we experience the real presence of the kingdom of God in our life is by opening our eyes and giving thanks. There's a few stories I've mentioned over and again. Great thing about this congregation is half of you born here last year, so maybe you didn't hear it. <laughs> One of those stories I, I love to recall is when I've been in Ghana on a couple of different occasions. I'm doing pastor seminars, which I felt completely inadequate to do, among those people of faith who seem to know more about faith than I did. And hearing about the miraculous work of God in their lives and their ministry in ways that I hadn't experienced. And still I was there to teach And every day when they began, the leader of that organization, David Mensah, would ask somebody to pray. And inevitably, the beginning of their prayer went something like this. Oh God, we thank you for the light of a new day. Oh God, we thank you for the beauty of this world. We thank you for rain. We thank you for food. And the list would go on. 
And it was just ordinary stuff. It was as though they had an understanding of life that I wasn't immediately tapping into over here in this world. By the way, I don't want to glamorize people of the third world as if they're the only kind of people who are real Christians. I know we all have our issues. But in this regard, there was an anticipation concerning the work of God among them that began by gratitude and praise for the work of God among the mundane. They started by saying, in effect, every day is a gift from you. Every day is a miracle from your hands. Everything I have is yours. Thank you for it, O God. And then they lived out their life of faith. It seems to me to experience the presence of God and the kingdom of God, we must live that way. Because otherwise, you know what happens. Otherwise, we become complacent. Otherwise, we become self-sufficient. Otherwise, we begin to think that what we have is the result of us and not God. That's what gratitude and thanksgiving always does. It turns the corner on that kind of self-centeredness and self-sufficiency. So finally, how do we see the kingdom of God come and see the parallel presence of that kingdom in our world? I think finally, the way we do it is that we share. Always looking for opportunities to share the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ that we have experienced. Watch the disciples. Their life was just controlled by that reality. They couldn't wait to tell the next person about Jesus Christ. They seized every opportunity. You don't have to be Peter. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a spectacular speaker. But you have to be you. And being you as a child of God means that you've got a story. And bringing the kingdom of God to your, to your world means that you tell that story. And you watch for opportunities to share it. Humbly, the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ in your life. And then, in those moments, the kingdom of God comes. And the will of God is done on earth just like it is in heaven. Because you've listened, you've followed, and you've shared. I, I look at the story, and I look at what we've considered, and I think we've just scratched the surface. We haven't gone beneath the first layer the power of the kingdom of God if we're open to it. I wish we'd be more open to it. I wish you were. Because the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is to be that for the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself through miracles. Not as often as we would like, We thank you for being sovereign and in your time revealing yourself miraculously. We're aware 
that frequently your miraculous revelations happen in the context of great need. Desperate people in desperate times. On other occasions, Lord, it just seems that your miraculous presence appears when your people decide that it is their responsibility to really live in the Spirit, to really live in such a way that they follow you by faith and obedience, to really continually give thanks and to really look for every opportunity to share your redeeming grace. It seems, Lord, that when your people live that way, you miraculously show up with signs and wonders. We certainly cannot predict it. We certainly cannot demand your timing and how you will do it. But we have been given the opportunity to live in the kingdom of God and to share it with our world. So make that the pattern of our life so that because we've walked with you, other people will see Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand?